This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in the 65th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. We are both uh, reporters and your friends from MILB.com, the official site of minor league baseball. Hi, Sam. Hi, I, I think I have a new email hashtag sign off. your friend. Yeah, it, it, hashtag, hashtag Mon, your friend, hashtag Dykstra, your friend. Um, yeah, I want, I want to put that more often now instead of just Sam Dykstra, reporter slash editorial producer, MILB.com. Just Sam Dykstra, comma, your, your friend. friend. That's a, I like that. That's a nice, soft, delicate opening. It's a, good this land, it's a soft landing with the people. As we head into yeah. uh, Fourth of July weekend already, May and June are the two best months out of the year, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. But they they take like we need to have a talk minutes each. <laughs> I hate it. It's almost July already. How did that happen? <laughs> that just time, man. Just time, just, man. It comes We're for us all. off this mortal coil. Something yeah. Like that. Um, so with that, a very existential welcome in to this week's edition of the show. All kinds of good stuff coming up on the show today. Major League Baseball futures game rosters have been announced, and a member of the pitching staff for the United States squad for the 2016 futures game will join the show. Amir Garrett, the fourth-ranked prospect in the Cincinnati Reds organization and the 61st-ranked prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, will join the show coming up here in a little bit. Had a whole ton of fun talking to Amir Garrett. Uh, he's got an awesome dog, and there are pictures of the dog on both Twitter and Instagram. You should go find them there. Um, but other than that, a lot of stuff to talk about as it pertains to the futures game, and that's going to send us right into three strikes for the 65th edition of the show before the show podcast. Rosters announced. Sam, who excites you? Who are you keeping an eye on? What are your initial impressions for the futures game pitting the United States against the world July 11th at Petco Park in San Diego? Yeah, so I think just kind of looking at the rosters um, when they came out yesterday, uh, it, it seems like, you know, the – the usual suspects are there in terms of who we would like to see on a field together when you're talking about essentially what is just the prospect all-star game. We have our all-star games for individual leagues. This pits just some of the guys we like talking about on the podcast um, around you know the minors, just some of the most exciting names in there. So you're going to see Yoan Mankata. You're going to see Alex Bregman. You're going to see Dansby Swanson. And it, as you mentioned, Amir Garrett, uh, you know, Jorge Mateo, Manuel Margot, Gary Sanchez, Francisco Mejia, Alex Reyes. It's just so much talent on one field. Um, it, it makes it makes you know my prospect loving heart just so happy to see all these guys. We can it's one game, but we can compare them. They're they're coming at you from so many different levels. Um, you know, Eloy Jimenez is a guy who's only played at Class A. He's going to be at South Bend or you know, coming from South Bend into this game. It'll be fun to see how he kind of. Uh, adjust to the to the level of pitching going up against guys from the u.s you know guys like um joe musgrove amir garrett carson fulmer uh you know this is just an exciting game and it's nice to see that the excitement level has kind of been met here 
uh, you know, I'll, I'll be looking out for Alex Bregman. We've talked so much about him this year. Um, but this will be a chance for him to prove himself on an even bigger stage uh, for people who aren't necessarily following the minors the way we do. Um, although if you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you do, um, and I thank you for that. Uh, if we're looking at one particular group of players, I think the U.S. outfield is really, really exciting. Uh, there, there's a chance that Andrew Benintendi, Clint Frazier, and Austin Meadows could all be in the same outfield at one time. I, I'd wager that that could even be the starting U.S. outfield itself. Um, all three guys who can play center field have some range, and we all know they can certainly hit. I think Austin Meadows has been one of the hottest hitters in the minors uh, in the last month or so. I know he led the minors in extra base hits in um, in the month of June. Um, ben Attendi, a guy who's certainly warming up at AA Portland, and Clint Frazier, who continues to rake at AA Akron. That's my most exciting group. Um, if we're looking at guys who you know are exciting arms, um, I think it really comes down to Alex Reyes. Uh, he's a guy who you know we know can light it up. He's pitched this year at AAA Memphis, not necessarily finding the results he would have liked, but in a short stint like you're going to get in an all-star game like the Futures game, uh, he's a guy who can obviously light up the gun. Uh, I'll, I'll love to see Jeff Hoffman in that as well. You know, We talk a lot about his velocity potential and how he's improving on other things, and he doesn't necessarily rack up the strikeouts in the way we like, although that's certainly improving this year there at AAA Albuquerque in the Rocky system. Um, so I'll love to see what happens with him in a short stint. And same for Josh Hader. Uh, I know a lot of people think that his um, future is in the bullpen. I did a tool shed on that at the beginning of the year. He's a guy who is coming at you from kind of a signed winding position on the left side. Uh, so I would hate to be a left-handed, left-handed hitting uh, world roster player going up against Josh Hader in a short one-inning stint like that. Uh, there's nobody like Lucas Giolito, somebody like that, who's you know the top pitching prospect in the game. No Julio Urias. Those guys are both in the majors right now, making them ineligible for this. But uh, there's still plenty there to, to get excited about. I also like uh, on the other side, on the U.S. roster, and we should clarify, by the way, um, Alex Reyes, who was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, is on the world team for the right. uh, the Futures game because he was signed out of the Dominican Republic. His family is Dominican, and he moved away in high school and then was signed as a free agent, amateur free agent, uh, when he came into pro ball out of the Dominican Republic. So he'll be on the world roster. Uh, but also on that world roster, similarly somewhat to the way Sam was talking about the U.S. outfield, the world infield is so loaded too. Uh, Willie Adamas in the Tampa Bay Rays system, Carlos Asuaje in the San Diego Padres system, uh, Heimer Candelario from the Chicago Cubs organization that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast from time to time, Dilson Herrera in the Mets organization, Jorge Mateo, who Sam mentioned from the Yankee system, and also Yohan Moncada. Uh, and one thing that I love about the world roster too, you know, there's guys from Taiwan, Mexico, Venezuela, and Dominican, and then there's the Canadians too. Uh, Josh Naylor from <laughs> the Marlins organization and an outfielder, Tyler O'Neill, a guy who we love on the show uh, from Maple Ridge, British Columbia, which is the hometown of Larry Walker, for anybody who's interested in that. A couple of Canucks also. But that the, the world team's infield has a lot of really, really excited, really dynamic talent too. So I, I like that group also. And shout out to Dylan Unsworth, yeah, who's also on yeah. the world team, coming up to us from Durban, South Africa. Pitch for South Africa um, in the World Baseball Classic qualifier as well. Right, so don't don't come into this thinking that it's just you know the United States of America versus Latin America. This is certainly a world roster um, that they try to represent, you know, as many different countries as they can. Um, so yeah, no, it, it, it's really cool to, just to see the makeup of that team and 
um, guys who you have to stop and remember. Oh, yeah, no, he is foreign-born. That's right. <laughs> so a little bit of a preview of the uh, rosters. By the way, the coaching staffs are comprised of a whole lot of interesting names and names that you'll remember and names that will make you excited. Trevor Hoffman, the former Padres legendary closer, will manage the U.S. team. Friend of the podcast, Billy Bean, will be a coach on that club. Uh, he is now Major League Baseball's vice president of social responsibility and inclusion. He'll be the uh, one of the coaches on that staff. Former Major Leaguer Mark Loretta, bench coach Fred McGriff, first base coach. Mark Pryor will be the pitching coach for that staff. Jim Tomey will be the hitting coach. Uh, so there's some really, really cool names on the U.S. roster. Over on the world side, Moises Alou is going to be the manager uh, of that team. Luis Rojas will be a bench coach. So there are names that you remember. Oh, yeah, I wonder what that guy's doing now. A lot of those guys are going to be uh, on the staff for these teams, which is pretty cool too. So it kind of gives you a preview of who the – uh, stars who the guys to watch out for will be on those rosters strike two we're going to go in a different direction who sam is somebody that you would have wanted to see in this game who is not included on one of these rosters yeah so you talked about the the world roster infield um i'm going to go to the u.s roster infield and i'm going to talk about ian happ uh this is a guy who was taken in the first round last year by the cubs switch hitter out of university of cincinnati and has just absolutely gotten really really hot uh, in the month of June, he was he started out the year at Class Eight Advanced Myrtle Beach, uh, finishes with a 296, 410, 475 line, uh, with an 885 OPS in 69 games. There gets moved up to Double A Tennessee, and I just have to read this to, out loud to believe it. I've written it down, but it, just to, in his first six games uh, at Double A Tennessee, he is 11 for 17, so that's a 647 Pretty average good. in a new level. Yeah, in a new you know new team, new league, all that kind of stuff against pitchers he likely hasn't seen before. Some guys with major league experience at that Double A level, eleven for seventeen. Uh, you know, and this isn't you know I'm not going to go ahead and say that's indicative of anything, but it's not wildly unexpected of somebody you know an advanced college bat like Hap. Um, he is somebody who could certainly have hit the ground running, you know, at Double A like that. So I would have loved to have seen him rewarded for that and get a spot in the infield uh, with the U.S. roster. Looking at it, who else could play second base? There's Willie Calhoun there. There's Travis Demerit, who is a guy who's just destroyed the baseball, but that's at high Class A advanced uh, de high desert in the Ranger system. Uh, I would certainly lean Hap over Demerit, but you, there's so much that goes on here in terms of you know you, you have to find spots for guys in certain systems and there has to, every system has to be represented and that whole thing. And for all we know, the Cubs could have said, you know, they don't want Hap there for any number of reasons. Um, but I think Hap would have been a huge addition um, to that U S roster. Just, it would have been great to see what his hot bat could do against some of the tougher arms on the, from that world side, um, get, get a chance for him, like I said, to be rewarded and, just to see him on that big stage as the potential next big uh, Cubs prospect. Yeah, I really like that one. Um, similarly, on an infield prospect on uh, the other side in this equation on what would have been a world team assignment was, uh, for me, Orlando Arcia. I would have loved to see the Brewers' top prospect make an appearance. Um, Arcia, who we just saw rocket onto the scene really last year and established himself as one of the top prospects in all of baseball. Uh, he is now the fourth overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. I would have loved to have seen Arcia there just because – his game is so well-rounded 
I would love to see what he can do on a showcase stage like that because it seems to bring out – I mean, you remember the the huge performances that we've seen from guys uh, in recent seasons when you get to, you know, throw on a, a different uniform, step onto a big league mound, and, you know, nationally televised audiences tuned in, you know, what Joey Gallo did in batting practice a couple of years ago. Uh, Julio Arias, we've seen what he's done uh, when he's been on big stages, you know, Futures game and now up at the major league level. For Arcia, he seems like one of those guys – who has the mentality, who has the attitude, who has the talent to really shine when the stakes are pushed a little bit higher. I would have loved to have seen that, but that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, he was just passed over for the Futures game. He's at AAA right now. He's with the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, batting 269, OPS of 712. I'm not saying he's going to be called up, but for some of these guys who are at the higher levels of the minors, there could be backroom dealings that don't push them into games like this because maybe there is a transitional stage coming up for them in the very near future. We don't know that about the Brewers and what their plan is for Orlando Arcia, but he's been so good now. Uh, it would not surprise me if we saw him getting a taste relatively soon with Milwaukee. So that could also factor into some of these decisions. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why neither of us brought up Tyler Glass now, although we would have loved to have seen him on that uh, stage as well, given the way he's performing at Indianapolis you know, there's a decent chance that the Pirates don't want him pitching in a game like that um, because they could have plans to call him up very shortly or they could, uh, you know, not, just not want them to, to play in a, an extra game that only works as an ex exhibition. It's another chance to get injured. It's another chance to blow out your arm, all that kind of thing. Or it might not line up with some of these pitchers' uh, pitching schedules, and you don't want to send them there if it's if it's going to throw everything else out of whack. So there's a lot more that goes into this than just simple X should be there, Y is X not there. Um, but I think between our two choices, there are certainly many reasons why they should be in San Diego for this type of event. Strike three saying we had a bit of a prospect Christmas this week with uh, three pretty big names getting called up to make their major league debuts, uh, all three of whom have been guests on the show before the show, so we're not going to take full credit for it, just most of the credit for it. Uh, Brandon Nimmo summoned by the New York Mets. A.J. Reed called up by the Houston Astros. And the big one last night, Lucas Giolito, the top prospect in all of baseball, made his debut shortened by rain but still looked very impressive for the Washington Nationals. Uh, uh, through four innings last night, gave up one hit. Uh, so far, obviously really early going, especially for uh, for Giolito, but even the two guys on the position player side, what are some of your initial impressions of uh, Giolito, Reed, and Nimmo now being up at the major league level? Yeah, so I got to watch a little bit of Giolito's start last night. Um, it was really unfortunate that it got, you know, ended quickly by the rain. You w I would have loved to have seen, A, how long of a rope the, the Nats were going to give him um, he's a guy who's only averaged a little more than five innings per start this year at Double A Harrisburg, um, but also w what it would have been like going uh, through that Mets lineup for a second or third time. Um, it was interesting watching the Mets broadcast last night, just because in the middle of the game they had their sideline reporter uh, just give a, a report on how the Mets prepared for Giolito, and they gave a little bit of an MILB.TV shout out, saying that the Mets watched as many of his starts as they could on MILB TV to get ready to see him. Um, but there's nothing like seeing him when you're in the box and what it's like when his pitches are coming at you. Uh, so, you know, promising results early, only gave up the one hit and two walks. He had a little bit of a shaky command uh, early. You could see the nerves getting to him a little bit, had trouble finding the strike zone, was throwing about 93 to 95, topping out at 96. Um, so I think there's even a little more gas left in that tank. But his curveball looked as good as ever. Uh, I, I think the Mets were not even going to try to touch it last night. 
So we'll see what happens with him going forward um, with the Nats. But it, you know, it, it's nice to see somebody that we know can pitch, somebody who's been working it out. I think it's a little bit uh, complicated. The Mets broadcast was saying how this is a guy who hasn't been that good this year at Double A. I, I think, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, but he had his struggles at the beginning of the year with some control issues, uh, 34 walks and 71 innings, but he seemed to be ironing those out, um, had a little bit of a rough spot in his last start, but before that, everything was looking very promising. Um, I remember talking to him about that and how he was trying to get everything more in sync, and he felt like his delivery was coming along a lot better. It looked pretty good last night. So I, I wouldn't base, you know, should he be here, should he not be here, strictly on the numbers. Um, I think his stuff kind of speaks for itself, and I think he he laid the groundwork to not only – you know, look solid in, at the major league level, but something to build off of and room to grow. And I think that's all you can ask for in a uh, major league debut. A couple of big picture things um, as it pertains to these guys and everybody else who gets called up. If you're a fan of these prospects or of prospects in any other system, keep one thing in mind when guys come to the major leagues. It's really hard. Um, AJ Reed has started <laughs> off so far 0 for 10 through his first three major league games. Brandon Nimmo's fared a little bit better, 3 for 12. That adjustment is quite obviously the most difficult one that anybody's going to face in your career. When you come up, you struggle for a week, you struggle for two weeks. Um, nobody's taking it harder than those guys. Keep it in mind, if you watch a rookie at the plate really look like a rookie, there's a reason behind that. Um, but simultaneously to that, if you can keep that in perspective, just try to appreciate what it's like, especially if you're a fan of minor league baseball. Just try to appreciate how cool it is when you get to watch something like last night with Lucas Giolito. That's a guy who has worked his entire life to accomplish one thing. And thanks to the wonders of MILB TV and of MLB TV, you get to watch that. The culmination of somebody's entire life's dream, you get to watch on your television screen, which is forever the coolest thing in the world to me. Uh, I remember when, when I was a radio guy in the Carolina League, the first team I worked on, we had Jason Hayward and Freddie Freeman back in 2009. The very next season, when Hayward got called up and hit a homer in his first major league at bat, you kind of feel like when you watched those guys coming up, if you were just a fan, if you worked for a team, if you were a fan of an opposing team and you saw somebody, you feel like a little piece of you made it with them too. That's what's so neat about watching these guys graduate. So seeing Lucas Giolito on the mound last night, I watched two nights ago, A.J. Reed catch a ball at first for the final out and an Astros win on the road at Anaheim. Uh, and Brandon Nimmo, the, the focus that he's gotten since he's been up in the major league level, you know, his interactions with the New York media and how excited he is to be up the big league level. It's just so cool to see that for these guys. So it's not a lot of hard-hitting analysis, but just keep it in mind, <laughs> it's such a neat moment in these careers when you get to finally see all of that stuff come full circle. I think I want to cry. I'm going to be honest. No, just, that was such I'm a beautiful way of describing that. I know. Well, to your point earlier, of just how hard this game is, I, I almost want to print this out and just like make it my, my pin tweet or something. Mike Trout in his first season up in the major leagues, he played 40 games for the angels in 2011. We kind of forget about it. He hit 220. Yeah. yeah. In 40 games, like 123 at bats. That's a, super a long stretch. Size. Yeah. Right. And he did not look great. That next year, 2012, he hits 326 with a 963 OPS and 30 home runs and 49 steals and is the Mike Trout we all know and love now. Just because somebody gets off to a rough start, we saw this with Julio Urias uh, earlier this year, does not mean that's how their career is going to go. 
So when it somebody like Giolito does perform to the level he did last night, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, so his debut was Tuesday, or we're recording this on Wednesday, his debut was Tuesday. Uh, when they do perform to that, it's even more eye-popping uh, to people like us, people like you at home listening, uh, who, who get a chance to see where these guys have gone, uh, you know, how their curveball has developed, how they've added some more power, you know, how they've adjusted their approach. Um, to see that package all come together on what is the biggest stage in this sport um, is just so thrilling. Pretty awesome stuff. And uh, one of the guys who may very soon be tasting those uh, those same sweet moments of making a major league debut is our guest on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, who, uh, a couple of things to prep you for this interview. Number one, uh, Amir Garrett, at times we had a, a bit of a rough connection cell phone-wise. He is definitely audible and understandable throughout it, but there are a few clips. Just keep that in mind going forward. Number two, though, we do have some adopted dog conversation later on, and I just want to let people know that right after we got done with this interview, Amir Garrett immediately went to Twitter and tweeted a picture of his dog, and it's like the cutest <laughs> dog. I want to smush his face so badly, um, but the dog is awesome, and Amir Garrett's awesome. We're going to talk with the Cincinnati Reds number four prospect. <laughs> That's the sound of when you see that dog's face. Amazing. <laughs> he's smiling. Oh, he's got such a smushy little face. Oh. Dozer. Oh. Dozer. Awesome. I want to interview the dog next time. We could just do that. <laughs> and the oh, conversation that could be kind of rough. Who's a good boy? That'll be the whole every question in the interview. Yeah. Who's Very a good boy? Amir <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, the left hander out of Victorville, California, and the Cincinnati Reds organization joins the show next. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. Getting set for Futures Game Time, Major League All-Star Game Time, all kinds of exciting things on the baseball calendar, and we are joined by one of the most exciting prospects in the entirety of the game of baseball. It's the Cincinnati Reds' number four prospect via MLB Pipeline and the number 61 overall prospect in all of baseball. Left-hander Amir Garrett joins the show. Amir, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good to talk to you. Good. It's uh, you're in a, a really good place right now. Coming off of your second start in AAA, um, and arguably your best start of the season, seven shutout innings for the Louisville Bats uh, just a few days ago, back on the 27th. Five strikeouts, two walks, give up four hits, and uh, a really, really good outing against Buffalo. Second start of the season in AAA, 13 outings at AA to begin the year, um, and really, really good numbers there for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, a 1.75 ERA. What's the adjustment been like? How are you finding AAA so far? Um, you know, it's a big adjustment. You know, the hitters up here are a lot more disciplined. The zone's uh, a little bit tighter. Um, so you got to just attack and be aggressive. You can't be scared of hitters or anything like that. You got to go at them with your best stuff, you know. And um, I think that's the biggest difference, you know. I just got to continue having that confidence, uh, confidence I had in double A. I try to bring it here, you know. I just, I just look at it and see that, you know, they're, they're a person just like me. They got a bat, but I got the ball in my hand, and, um, you know, I just try to control the game. 
And uh, just going into that first start, um, you know, you, you only allowed the one hit, but you, you walk six guys, as, as Tyler just kind of alluded to. Uh, you know, that second outing, you come in as, as after you know a rehabbing guy. Um, what adjustments had you made? I mean, was there any talk of what you needed to fix, and or was it just you know you got that first debut out of the way, those first jitters of a new level, a new team? Um, you know, what, what what was the difference between those two starts? I think I was just trying to do too much. You know, my AAA debut, I was excited to get here and stuff like that. Had a, I had a lot of nerves going, you know, and things were going pretty smooth. And then as easy as it was to have everything going good, it could go bad just like that. And as you can see, I walked, I got two quick outs, and, you know, I walked the next three. You know, I just had to settle down. You know, uh, my mechanics were off a little bit, and nothing too major that I couldn't fix. I watched some video and, you know, I, it, it wasn't my normal self, you know, and I just think that was just more of nerves, you know, because I was just getting excited. I was doing pretty good, but um, <clears throat> that's when your your mental uh, comes in to play, you know. Um, you got to bear down and focus up and got to remember the things that got you there. You got to go back to what you were doing. So I was able to do that and take it out uh, my last start. And, you know, I was able to just go back to the way that I pitched, you know, and that's what I did. And Amir, going back to last year, uh, well, just this week you were named uh, to the Futures Game roster. This is your second time going. Um, what was your experience like last year? You know, I think you were the second guy to come in. You ended up getting the win. Uh, you get to play in your own, you know, what could be your home ballpark over there in Cincinnati. Um, going to be a little bit different this time. Going to be in San Diego. Um, but what was that first experience like in a Futures Game? What did you take away from it? Uh, the first experience I had, you know, I was very excited to go into the Futures game. You know, uh, there was a lot of top names in there that I, I did, I, I've always like kept up with guys. And there's a lot of guys that are like, oh, this is him, that's him, you know. And um, I was excited to play in the game, you know, because nobody really knew who I was, so I was coming in like an underdog. But this year is going to be more exciting because California, I have family that can come and see me, and um, you know, I'm just looking to have a good time. You know, it's some great baseball. I'm the future game. I'm the best uh, minor league talent, you know. I'm, I'm just looking forward to just watching great baseball and just to be a part of the uh, uh, the environment. You know, I think it's going to be a great time. Amir, that's obviously a midseason highlight, and not a ton of guys get that experience. And another thing you've had experience with in the middle of seasons is making promotions, and a lot of guys struggle with that, and it doesn't seem like you really have, which is a huge asset. But uh, rookie season, you go from Billings, uh, or go rather from the Arizona League to Billings to the jump to the Pioneer League. Then in 2013, you go from Billings to Dayton. This season, obviously, you go from Pensacola to Louisville. What's the key to a successful transition in the middle of a season? Because for a lot of guys those are tough steps to make mid-stride uh but you've handled those pretty well what what do you how do you adapt when you get into a new level you know june july in the middle of a year um i would say you know i handled the two jumps uh from from Arizona to billings i handled that one pretty well the one i didn't handle pretty well was going from billings to dayton my first year i got beat up pretty bad and uh going from double a to triple a this year you know i've been able to hold my own but it's just you gotta have the same mentality. Um, you know, you gotta have the confidence to go in there. You can't, you can't show weakness like, oh, you can't worry about who's up to bat and like, oh, this guy had showtime, whatever. This guy is whoever he may be. You can't go in there being scared of hitters. And I think that's what helped me. You know, I just go over there, go up on the mound when I'm on the mound. You know, and um, I just, I just make my presence known that 
I'm not going to let you beat me. And you got to just, just look at it that way and, and, and give your best every time you go out there. You know, uh, it doesn't matter mid-season, start of the season, whatever time it may be, but you always got to go up on the mound and, and you got to go up there like, this is my game. You know, it doesn't matter who the hitter is. You got you to gotta make that presence known, like, this is my game. And Amir, this is um, draft signing season. You know, obviously the draft was this month. Uh, you have one of the cooler, I think, draft stories, more interesting draft stories. Um, a lot of people know that you know you went and played some college basketball at St. John's. Uh, were were a two sport athlete for a time, a couple years there, uh, where you were playing your winters basketball at St. John's and then summers in the Reds organization. Um, but just t- kind of take me back to your draft. I mean, you go from uh, playing strictly basketball in your senior year of high school um, and just go out for a couple tryouts that spring at, trying to maybe get drafted in baseball. What was your draft experience like and in, in your signing experience like? Uh, you know, I, didn't, I really didn't know what to expect at first. And I thought I was just doing it. My, my father was like, he wants me to throw the baseball around, you know, and just keep on fresh. And I was He's like, all right, whatever, you know. I was like, I'm going to go talk for basketball, but I, I gave the shot, you know, and uh, I was able to get drafted, which was a good thing, but I really didn't, I really didn't know what I was, I was getting into, you know, and uh, I never thought I would, I would be where I'm at right now because, you know, things work in mysterious ways, you know, playing baseball and basketball, going back and forth, you know, that was, a, that was, that was tough. I mean, I. I I was able to handle it, but I was never able to get my full potential into the sport. So that was a tough thing for me going back and forth. I was always behind the basketball. And I was coming and extended. And, you know, being, if anybody knows being in Arizona, you know, that, the heat and everything. And I was like, man, there was times where I sat down and I was like, man, I want to I want to stop playing baseball and just go play basketball. But it was something always pushing me to, to, to continue to do both. And then um, I had a really good year in Dayton. And, you know, that kind of made up my mind for me because I, I found out, like, hey, I can really play. I can really play baseball. I can pitch, you know. And um, once I put the basketball down, I was able to focus on baseball. You know, a lot of great things happened to me. I was able to focus on my uh, on my craft, you know. And there was some spring training. I was able to talk to guys and, and pick up on tricks and stuff and just, just able to get to know the game more, you know, and uh, – at first, I would come in and be just a thrower. Now I'm a pitcher. You know, I'm able to throw the ball where I wanted and stuff like that. And you know, I wasn't able to do those things. I was going back and forth from basketball to baseball. So, you know, when I gave my all to baseball, you know, it just changed a different mindset for me. And then I was able to focus, and you know, it's been paying off. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that that season in Dayton, uh, you know, 2014. How much of a different pitcher are you now than you were then? Um, you know, when you decided to make that full-time switch, is there something that you've developed as a pitcher? You know, have your pitchers become sharper? Um, you know, you mentioned just being able to go to spring training, but what, in what ways have you improved um, since you've decided to become a full-timer? Um, you know, that year, uh, the first half of Dayton, I got my butt kicked. And something just took in my head and was like, you can't keep going out there every five days and getting your butt kicked. getting your butt and getting 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 it handed to you, and uh, something just clicked in my head, you know. And I and even though I didn't make my decision until August, I knew in my mind I was going to play baseball. So I was able to focus a little bit more on my pitching. And, you know, now my pitches now I can throw any of my pitches for a strike. I can throw 
throw, I can locate my fastball, I can locate my slider, my changeup. You know, I got a sinker now. So it's just just adding those pitches together and making them do what you want wanted to do instead of being dating. I was just throwing it and I was just letting it do what it wanted to. But now I'm able to control my pitches and make them do what I want them to. And how I'm able to move them how I want them to move. And you know, it's a, it's a, it actually surprises me how far I've came from from being drafted to rookie ball to low A to now. Amir, tell me this, when you are in need of something away from the field now, I mean, to talk about the kind of the mental rigors of when things aren't going well and you think to yourself, like, I can't keep coming out here every five days and getting my butt kicked. What do you do now to decompress or get your mind off of baseball? For a long time, I would imagine that was basketball. But, you know, we've talked to guys uh, on the podcast who taught themselves how to play the guitar or guys who just dive into Netflix binge watching. What do you do now away from the field when you need to kind of decompress and get off of baseball for a bit? Um... That's a good question. I don't. I usually like if I go back to the baseball field, I just just you know I just kind of just forget about it for a day or for a few hours. I don't know what I really do. I like to play Xbox a little bit to, to clear my mind. You know, um, I do. I just got a dog in the off season. I rescue the dog. You know, I like to play with him as much as I can. But in the season, I can't play with him. You know, I I'm like, I just like to just relax. You know, and just. I, I, that's a that's a really good question. I, I never really thought about that. I like to play ping pong, you know, but for the most part, I like to play Xbox, play FIFA a little bit, take my mind off a uh, baseball for a while. And uh, Mir, we'll we'll leave you on this one. Um, you know, now that you are at AAA Louisville, uh, you know, you talked so much about your development. Um, you know, there's that one last step that you need to make before you're at the majors. What do you think you need to do? Uh, to make that next step, whether it's, you know, later this year for September call-ups or, you know, going into next year competing for a job in spring training. Um, what's the, the last step you think you need to to make uh, in order to make that jump to the majors? I, I think I just need the experience. That's it. Um, everything they ask of me, you know, to, to develop a change-up and, and to be able to throw it over the plate. You know, I think I developed that. And, um I think it's just, just, just more experience. That's really it, you know. And uh, I think that's just the only thing, just just to get more experience at a higher level before I make the next jump and, and to be successful at this level before I'm able to make the next jump to the highest level of major league. He is Amir Garrett, AAA pitching prospect for the Cincinnati Reds and a member of the U.S. team for the 2016 Futures Game. Which will be coming up at Petco Park on July 11th and is, as he noted, the uh, the adopted dad of an awesome dog named Dozer that you can find pictures of on Twitter at Amir underscore Garrett. And that dog looks amazing, and I want to smush his face. <laughs> and uh, Amir, congratulations on all the success, man. Best of luck in the Futures Game, and thanks a ton for giving us some time today. Uh, thank you guys so much. Joining us on the road for uh, it's always it's always exciting when we get to talk to a guy who's actually on the road doing the thing that he is known for. And Benjamin Hill is on the road through the Appalachian League through this week and on into next week, Fourth of July weekend uh, for a full Appy League tour. Ben, where are you? What are you doing today? Yeah, well, I am uh, in a Johnson City hotel room right now. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm doing the entire entire the Appy League. Um, 
which I learned, you know, in New York City, I've always called it the Appalachian League. Um, but you learn when you come down here, it's the Appalachian League. So, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the subtle things. So I'm, I'm here in the Appalachian League. And uh, in the Western Division, the teams are all really close together. So this is a unique thing for me on a road trip is that for the entire Western Division, I'm just using Johnson City as my base and then uh, you know, doing commuter trips just like the teams do to the other teams in the division. So I uh, flew in flew into Asheville on a Saturday morning, checked into this uh, my hotel in Johnson City, drove to Greenville, saw the Astros. Sunday afternoon, I saw the Kingsport Mets. Monday, I saw uh, – who did I see on Monday – I think Johnson City. That's why I can't remember. It was rained out. <laughs> it was rained out in Johnson City. <laughs> the irony of the place, the, the place I'm based, and the team that uh, did the most work and uh, pestering to get me here. Uh, I finally show up, and it was a rain out. But I had a good time, you know, under the circumstances. And then Bristol last night, and then uh, pretty shortly after, I talked to you guys here on uh, this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. I'm gonna drive up to Elizabethton and uh, see the Twins, and that'll end the first half of the trip, this uh, Western Division Johnson City-based half of the trip. And just like I learned, it's the Appalachian League when you're down here. I would always said Elizabeth- Elizabethton when pronouncing the name of the Twins, just kind of Elizabethton, but uh, I've gotten corrected a few times. It's Elizabethton. You really, when you start to say that word, um, you know, think of Beth, the name Beth. Someone, uh, I was actually doing a little radio interview, uh, a local uh, ESPN affiliate, about my trip, and I said Elizabeth Tan, and they're like, nah, think of the Kiss song, Beth, you know, classic uh, power ballad. So uh, Elizabeth Tan, that's where I'm going tonight. Well, you, you mentioned the names and that kind of thing, but what else has been kind of the biggest surprise at getting to see some of these, you know, Appy League stadiums and places up close? Well, you know, I've been doing this job in some capacity or another for over a decade um, and been traveling since 2010. But, you know, year-round writing about what's going on in minor league baseball, and the Appy League is a league that hasn't given me too much to write about just because these are real small, small market towns, rookie-level baseball. Um, some of them are nonprofits. So they're not the kind of teams that draw attention on a national level or give me much to write about on the promotional front and that kind of thing. So it's been really great to come down here and finally get a sense of what these teams and communities are all about because it's a, a tougher league to cover from afar than, than other ones are. Um, so it's been, it's been really cool to see. Um, obviously, a lot of old ballparks in the, in the league, but even in the four I've been to so far and six more to go, um, you still see some diversity. You know, Starting in Greenville on Saturday night, and that's Greenville with an E. They're very proud of that extra E. G-R-E-E-N-E-V-I-L-L-E, um, Greenville, Tennessee. They have a really nice ballpark by Appy League standards, built in 2004. And it really, when you're there, it feels more like a Class A or Class A advanced ballpark. But then, uh, you know, to can contrast that with, especially last night, being in Bristol, uh, Bristol, Virginia, home of the Pirates, which is just across the state line from Tennessee. Um, you know, that's a, a community, a nonprofit team that I think, I'm going to try to confirm this, but I think is a, a rarity, and that they don't even have have a full-time employee this is an entirely volunteer-run organization with no full-time employees whatsoever and uh, so a real throwback community feel people bringing their own lawn chairs you know setting up on the grass behind uh, home plate um, really charming in 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 an environment I love so I think the Happy League provides that level of baseball that you you really don't get to see much anymore Um, that real old-fashioned feel that I think people associate with what minor league used to be and is no longer. And here in the Appy League, it still is. 
Ben Strip will take him through uh, the entirety of the Abbey League, as he noted. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday today, so it's Elizabethan, Elizabethan twins, then the Princeton Rays, Bluefield Blue Jays, Pulaski Yankees, Danville Braves, and the Burlington Royals. Um, what are some of the things you're looking forward to for the rest of this trip? Because, like you said, there are kind of these quirks. I mean, you noted last week Burlington has a ballpark that originally was not even built in Burlington, built in a different town, and then was dismantled, moved to Burlington, and now hosts the Royals. What are some of the highlights you're looking forward to in these, uh, these next six teams that are coming up? Yeah, well, the two teams I've been to in the Appy League prior to this were in 2011. I did go to Danville and Burlington um, as part of a more Carolina-focused trip. So I do have some idea of what to expect there. But I think Burlington, an old ballpark, July 4th, I think that will really bring a certain kind of energy that, that I'm looking forward to. Um, and beyond that, a lot of it's a, still a little bit of a mystery. Um, Princeton has a new uh, – they only have one full-time employee, and it's a 23-year-old guy, so I'm sure he's just uh, – you know, extremely overwhelmed right now. But I'm just, you know, they had a, a guy named Jim Holland run the team for decades, and he left. So, kind of curious to see now, um, you know, what what the vibe is in Princeton with a new younger guy there. And um, you know, that's a team I don't know much about at all. Uh, Bluefield, you know, classic Happy League uh, town and market. You know, they were affiliated with the Orioles for decades and decades and decades. Um, and for a while, it was the longest affiliation in minor league baseball. They're now with the Blue Jays, so they. Can- kept the bird affiliation, but moved over to Toronto. So curious to see that classic environment. And uh, Pulaski has undergone, you know, once they switched to the Yankees, undergone a lot of um, ballpark improvements and renovations and really improved the atmosphere at their ballpark, uh, younger front office. And they actually beat Greenville in attendance last year. And Greenville, since their park had opened in 2004, had led the league every year up through 2014. So Pulaski is an up-and-comer and and, uh, really curious to see that as well. So, you know, I've seen a lot so far, and there's still more than halfway to go, and uh, it's a a cool place to be. And, uh, Ben, we just kind of want to touch on this one while we have you. Um, We know you focus so much on Happy League stuff and trip stuff, but right before you left, uh, New Orleans came out with its um, seven finalists for its new team name. I know we talked a little bit about this, what the potential was for a team name in New Orleans. Now we know who the finalists are. I'll just round them off for you. It's the New Orleans Baby Cakes, Crawfish, King Cakes, Night Owls, Poe Boys, Red Eyes, and Tailgaters. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those seven names, and who do you kind of pick as the favorite out of that group, would you say? Well, it's tough to pick a favorite. I've given up on that in minor league team name contests. Um, I think I officially gave up on that when El Paso was doing theirs, and I was like, wow, Chihuahuas is um, really funny and interesting, but there's no way that they're going to be the Chihuahuas, and then they were, and I was like, you know what? All bets are off. You never know at this point what direction a team is a team is going to go. Um, so in terms of a favorite, your guess is as good as mine. Um, it is um, – you said, you said uh, crawfish. I do have to add a – a little addendum to that the the finalist is cajun crawfish which i kind of like with uh you know adding the cajun to it just gives a little a little more flair and a little more spe- uh, specificity to uh new orleans um so I, I think that's a good one i like red eyes quite a lot you know like they have a lot of late nights in uh new orleans which uh might might create their own sort of red eyes you know, you, you might go there for a long weekend and take red eye flights. Um, the logo, you know, obviously would have red eyes, which I think could be cool. We've seen eyes work across minor league baseball, um, obviously with the Lake Elsinore Storm, but elsewhere. Um, 
I think that's cool. I don't think that one is going to win, but as I said, <laughs> your, your guess is as good as mine. But I do like that there's a lot of uh, things very specific to New Orleans, like the baby cakes and the king cakes, and apparently a baby cake is a variation of a king cake in which has a plastic baby on it. Or I'm not from New Orleans. we got to do more research on all this. But I like when they are very specific local tie-ins as well as names that could also go national and uh, create a lot of fun just with the logo themselves. Starting on Thursday, maybe the day that you are tuned into this, wherever you're listening, but June 30th, starting on June 30th, fans can go to ZephyrsBaseball.com and vote for their preferred choice for the team's new name. Voting will continue through July 8th. The winner will be announced later in the year. The Zephyrs have said they would like to get the team announced later on this season so they can start building momentum toward opening day 2017. But, yeah, kind of like Ben said, uh, you can never really tell with these uh, the finalists that come out. Um, you know, next season we could have the, uh, the New Orleans baby cakes and the Binghamton stud muffins because those are two actual finalists announced for minor league baseball teams. So it's very possible. Absolutely. Everything's possible. So we have four team names contests going on right now, yeah. two in which finalists have been announced. Um, we've got the finalists in Binghamton and New Orleans. We've got Lynchburg and Staten Island who will announce their finalists. All four of these name the team contests are in conjunction with the uh, rebranding done by Brandios, you know, which is the company most responsible for some of the more outlandish names. So I think no matter what direction these teams go, between the four of them, you know, how often when you're talking about the American landscape, do you talk about Lynchburg, Staten Island, New Orleans, and Binghamton in the same sense? But that's minor league baseball. They're all going to have different names, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun thing to just keep tabs on. And uh, if you are somebody like Ben, you can always find a hub for teams named after the parent clubs in the place where Ben currently is right now. The Appalachian League does not have Appalachian League, sorry, does not have a team that is not named after the parent club. So if you're a traditionalist, head to the Appy League. You can find some old ballparks and some really cool stuff, as Ben has been pointing out today and pointing out all week, both on the site and on the blog, which is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And you can follow Ben on Twitter as well. He is there at bensbiz. Ben, keep being safe down there, driving safe and traveling safe and being all over the place. And uh, we'll talk to you and recap the Appy League next week. Yeah, still uh, plenty to go on this trip. And uh, when I talk to you guys next week, I will presumably have just gotten back uh, with a whole nother six visits under my belt. New articles written and new blog posts and plenty more to come throughout the rest of July. So uh, stay tuned. Wrapping things up here on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Before we get out of here, as always, MILB.TV is your home for all the best talent in minor league baseball. All summer long, and short season leagues have started up. we got a lot of short season and rookie-level teams that are on MILB TV as well, so you can still subscribe for this season for MILB.TV, and you can check out short season and rookie ball games as well as uh, games from every other level of minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so the game I kind of have circled here is uh, this Friday, um, so tomorrow when this is well, this will go live on Thursday. This is the day after that. Um, you know, we we talked earlier in the show a lot about futures game rosters, and I noticed Eloy Jimenez is there as a guy who's been playing the Cub system um, at Class A South Bend. You know, really interesting that he got the nod there, despite being I think he's the only player on the world team. Um, he's the only outfielder, anyways, who. Who hasn't yet even cracked Class A advanced, um, so Cubs fans or anybody can get a chance to check him out this weekend. Um, he'll be taking on Lansing, and Friday is going to be an interesting one just because John Harris is getting the start for the Lugnuts. Uh, he's the number 
four prospects in the, in the Blue Jays system was the 29th overall pick last year, six and one with a 2.59 ERA. Uh, so that'll be a pretty interesting matchup. Get to see a futures game participant uh, going up against against a pretty decent prospect. Um, at a, at a lower level, so uh, that that's the game I kind of have circled. What about well, you? somebody that you uh, mentioned earlier on in the show today, Ian Happ in the Chicago Cubs organization, member of the Double A Tennessee Smokies, has been raking, just smashing baseballs all over the place. A six forty seven average through his first six games at the Triple A level or at the Double A level rather, rather, and a one point seven eight four, a seventeen eighty four OPS, which is pretty good. Um, there are a lot of other really talented guys on that roster, though. Billy McKinney has really started to come on. Uh, he's a two sixty eight hitter right now, but he's put up three straight multiple hit games uh and mckinney an acquisition from the oakland a's a couple of years ago really talented really toolsy guy chesney young is really good on that team mark zagunas is really good on the team uh so there's a lot of talent on that tennessee roster and uh keep an eye on them because the smokies are a pretty fun team to watch and uh you know i mean that system we've talked about ad nauseum over the last couple of seasons but the reason that we do it is because it's still so laden with talent uh, Tennessee is on the road taking on Jacksonville this weekend, and you'll get a look on Friday night at a good pitching prospect in the Cubs organization as well as Paul Blackburn takes them out, a 5-2 and two record and a 2.35 ERA. So uh, that's, where I got, uh, that's where I got my eyes on. It's a very Cubs-centric mill TV segment. Yeah, but it doesn't have to just be Cubs fans watching it. I mean, like I said, these are guys who are, um, you know, a lot of them going to be working their way to the majors, and some of them you'll be able to see, uh, you know, in on your own TV screen soon enough. So um, with, between Jimenez and I know Hap, um, everybody wants him to come up real fast. So th- this is your chance to see these guys before they're on uh, even bigger stages. You can check those guys out at MILB.TV, and that will do it for episode number 65 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon and Benjamin Hill. You can follow through the rest of his road trip this week and all summer long. When he's on the road more, he is at Ben's Biz. And uh, until next week, enjoy the first week of July coming up. Happy 4th of July to everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you after Independence Day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.